Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander, and this is Knee Deep in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 170, recorded on January the 10th, 2022. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. This is a full-length interview I did with Ben Weissman, one of the organizers behind prolific events such as Data Grillen, Dataverse, New Stars of Data, and Data Minutes. Enjoy. And we are joined now by Ben Weissman. Ben, welcome to the show. Hello. So your name has popped up more than once in passing in our episodes here and there because you have this, well, there's, there's two aspects that I, I generally refer to you. One is your propensity for creating all kinds of amazing events. And the second is a slightly pathologic appreciation for Visual Basic. But would you like to introduce yourself to the, the audience so we can kind of come to the same, same place? I think pretty much all has been said, but um, if I will add just a couple of nuances of extra information to that, just because... Um, I mean, I could also have just said, I have no idea who I am and I'm just here because you've invited me, but um, anyways. And I was um, told to be, be call, calling myself Ben Weisman. yeah. Co correct. I didn't even know that was my name until like literally three minutes ago. No, um, I'm Ben Weisman, as you've already um, mentioned or as you've already told me. Um, I'm based out of Nuremberg, Germany. I'm running a small consultancy firm here. I've been working with SQL Server since 6.5, so that's, that, that's a while. Um, and as you can tell by that, I also love um, VB6 because it's kind of from the same era, from the same epoch, from the same decade, you might even say. Um, and yeah, I, I don't even know why that that is still a thing on Twitter, That, ever, but um, it seems like whenever someone says something about VB, people tag me in it and I'm usually jumping on it and be like, yay. Um, I mean, it's I'm, not like you kind of not go for it. That, that, that is completely true. I mean, why would I not? VB is just the very best. It's in the name. Um, have you heard of a single VB application that um, was exposed to the log4j um, exploit? I don't think you did. See, it's then also again, super I, I secure. I don't think I've heard anything about Pascal or Delphi or Assembler either. Ah, and now we're talking. So um, uh, it's, it's a bit sad that you left out COBOL, but I think we're going to get to that. Um, this is, by the way, what this whole episode will be about, in case you didn't know. And by you, I don't mean people listening to us, but I mean you as the show host. I'm completely taking this over. Let's talk about ancient um, programming languages. Awesome. And also punch cards um, as a storage mechanism. Because I think For sure. that that's just, things were so much easier back then. So I have a book that I think you would appreciate. It's called How Apollo Flew to the Moon. And it's not so much how, well, the, the, the mission planning and stuff. It is an entire book about the guidance computer, how it was designed, how it was built, how it was programmed, how it was operated, the whole nine yards. There's a lot of hex code in there. I think that would be up your alley, right? Um, pretty much. Um, then again, stuff like that. I, I need the entertaining factor. There's actually a course on Pluralsight on that. Um, believe it or not. Yes, there is. On the guidance computer? Yes. Really? Speaking of learning something new, and I need to go check that out. 
Um, and it's actually um, a very well-made um, course. It's by one of the in-house authors at Pluralsight, and he does all these. Um, his name is Simon, and he does all these, um, I'm going to say in-person videos, but that, no, live videos. That's the word I was looking for. So um, he's pretty good at editing his stuff and making not just something that's educating, but also entertaining. And give, given that topic, um, it, it, it's not purely on the guidance computer, but it's around the whole Apollo mission. But um, so yeah, check it out. And I think it's like a 45 minute course or so. So it's not taking. Interesting. Well, worth my time indeed. So you and William are kind of both famous and or infamous for creating the premier event in Europe. I was about to say in Europe, but I realized it's, it's probably the premier event, the data event in the world. And I am talking about Data Grillen. Could you talk a bit about how the heck did that come about? It's all William's fault. Let's start with, well, first, first of all, um, I'm not 100% sure if we are the premier event in the world um, because it is hard to compare with so many other events. Um, so, for example, if you take something like the Pass Summit um, which is, or SQL Bits, which is much bigger than us, how, how does that make us the premier event? Thank you. But um, at the same time, I don't really care if we're the premier event as long as people are like, hey, this is just um, really nice to go to and this is the event I'm looking forward every year to go to. So um, that, that's all we ask for. Um, we don't care if we're number one or whatever on some kind of um, almost artificial list because people have different preferences. Um, because, again, given the size of our event, especially this year where we're even going to be more limited, if your goal is to meet with um, at least a thousand different people, um, we're not the place to go to. Um, to your original question, how it started as a super small thing way before I even got involved in that. So... Um, I wasn't involved in the founding of Datacom. That's all, all um, on William in a very positive way. Um, technically, he still is, but it, it's not an active thing. William used to run the Lingen user group or the Lingen past Germany chapter, which is also given the location of Lingen where Datacom happens, which is if you go to the middle of nowhere and then keep walking a little further towards the ass of the world, that's pretty much when you end up in Lingen. Um, you can imagine that the local user group, not that huge. So at some point in summer, he decided, hey, after the user group, instead of doing stuff like, hey, we order pizza or we order Subway sandwiches or we do, let's just have a little barbecue. Um, next time, he was like, hey, let's make this a an event and call it SQL Grown. And don't quote me on the number and thank God this isn't recorded because the numbers are completely made up. I, I think it was like three or four sessions. Um, and that's, And then that thing grew and grew. And I think it was the year after. So I'm going to say five years ago when I first got involved, when that thing became at a size, it was like, okay, I, I just can't um, pay for all that myself anymore. I'm looking for sponsors. And I was like, okay, um, we'll just sponsor that event because I think um, it's a, and back then it was still compared to today, super small. And by the time I stepped up as a sponsor in that year, um, or well, when I say I, I mean, actually the company um, that we're running here. Um, that was also the time when I got involved with organizing the whole thing because it was like, yeah, but um, also we're getting more and more speaker submissions. Um, and 
He was just asking if I, if I would be interested in helping a little bit with the other parts of the organization. Yeah, sure, why not? Um, this sounds fun. Um, that event that year was also um, when I had one of my infamous drunk ideas. So at the speaker dinner the night before, after a couple of beers, I was like, one of the benefits I got as being the sponsor of that event, he was like, hey, you can have the keynote. I was like, well, great. Um, it's not like I really need a keynote, but um, we'll do something fun. And pretty much up until the last minute, I had no idea what I was going to tell people. Um, and then I had the drunk idea of creating the newcomer track. So I was like, hey, um, since I can do pretty much whatever I want here, being um, the sponsor of this thing, I'm going to announce the newcomer track for next year. And then I explained William what I meant by that. And the newcomer track is um, a dedicated track that we have at Data Group where we only invite speakers that have never spoken at anything larger than a user group before. Because one of the... and even as seasoned speakers, for, for us it may be easier these days to get accepted to events, um, at least in the non-virtual world. Um, but we've all been there in the past where you're like, hey, I've submitted to um, five events and all of them, well, four of them sent me an email um, that I got rejected. The fifth one didn't even um, take the time to respond at all. And you kind of got to get into that um, wheel and kind of got to, get into that whole game. And so I was like, hey, let's do a track, especially for these um, new speakers. Let's support them, give them amazing mentors, people like yourself who has mentored countless of our speakers at the newcomer track, as well as the spin-off New Stars of Data, which is our virtual newcomer track. So that's how I got involved in that. And since then, it has grown one more year up to the maximum capacity of our venue. So we're now at the maximum limit of what this event can be. Again, this year will be a little bit different and a little bit special. So we've just released our attendee tickets a couple of days ago. Usually we release 200 of them and they sell out within one to two days. This time we only released 50 and it sold out within like four hours, as expected. We will see if and when the COVID situation allows us to release additional tickets. It might be a very intimate event this year, which I'm okay with. And I think that's that's an important point. It doesn't strive to be the biggest event. That's not the point. It's, as you said, a very intimate event. And I mean, even, even at 200, it is a very intimate event. And talking to people about grid and it's it's such an experience both from a speaker perspective but as an attendee perspective as well i mean no one in their right mind would go to lingen on their own dime unless there was this thing called data grid and it is also a great segue into the newcomer track because as you said i've, I've done mentoring um for quite some time and i've had the the enormous opportunity to be part of Secret Gridden and, and Data Gridden and the new stars of, of data as well. I've heard people say that, well, we have enough speakers in the data community. Thank you very much. And I mean, we need to protect the established speakers because if we keep pumping in people, that's good. But what do we do with the people that are there? And, and I always find that to be fascinating. 
to have that that um, mindset. And I'm curious, what's your view on newcomer tracks in general and, and getting people into the, the community? I think our, well, pr probably true for pretty much every community, but our community, um, I got first-hand experience on, needs to become more diverse. Not just really? Yeah, I, d I don't know. Um, interesting, me, the white dude, um, saying that. Um, uh-huh. He, here's the thing. All the privilege I have, it doesn't just evaporate by enabling others. That's kind of, don't tell anybody. Um, but that, yes, there, there is the thing. Um, every single conference has a certain um, amount of speaking slots. True. If we stop giving all of these to white dudes um, and start giving them to a more diverse speaker set, that means there's less white dudes speaking there. Does that mean it's a bad thing? No, it's not. Be um, and now you might wonder, why do I even care about that? Because I think um, seeing sessions from a more diverse speaker set makes sessions more enjoyable because you get different viewpoints. And depending on what kind of group um, these specific speakers um, come out of, these might be, again, if you see the very same session from, well, it's not the very same session, but the very same topic presented by two people that come from similar experience and similar peer groups, um, I would say these sessions might end up very comparable. If they come from completely different um, groups, you will get completely different perspectives. And that may have a higher or lower impact depending on what the topic is. But uh, diversity is key on making... I, I don't want to see the same sessions all over and over again. And If I want to get more entertaining sessions, and by more entertaining I mean more variety of sessions and the way these sessions are... Because the way a session is presented to me personally is more important than... If I walk out of a session, I'm like, hey, I didn't learn a thing, but I had a lot of fun. That is worth way more, again, to me personally than walking out of a session be like, okay, that was super boring, but I learned some mind-blowing stuff. Now, I understand that these are two extremes, but um, that entertaining factor can only come through diversity. Diversity in a community or in a speaker pool that is mainly um, straight cis white dudes can only come through new speakers. Easy as that. And I, I couldn't agree more. And that's why I, I was so happy when I saw not only new stars of data, but you also kind of threw down the gauntlet and came up with another event. It, it's kind of scary. I mean, we, we leave you and, and William alone for 10 minutes and you come up with a new amazing event style that for some reason people never thought of. So you've got two more things up your sleeve and one is coming next week and the other one is not planned for 22 yet, right? It corrected it. So we usually, well, it's kind of an exception because we have Data Grill coming up and Data Minutes, which is the one that's coming up next week with data minutes being focused on lightning talks only. So we have two tracks with four sessions per hour. So every speaker gets 10 minutes and then we got five minutes for handover, no questions um, or anything during the session. One thing that we've seen during this pandemic is tons of events popping up and little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of tiki-taki and they all look just the same. Um, it just felt like, well, 
We could have 50 more events and we could give them 50 more fancy names, but with everything being virtual and everything being recorded, well, some organizers realized, okay, maybe we should at least stop recording if we all have the same schedule. And again, not every conference has the same schedule, but you get my point. Um, so much repetition and repetition where I'm like, I don't get why a speaker would do that to themselves. Why, why would you want to give the same presentation even 12 times a year? And there were others that gave the same presentation way more than that. I would get so bored by myself, um, especially on a virtual conference. We don't even know if people are listening or not. Um, we were like, if we do something virtual and we felt like, yeah, with Girl being canceled twice in a row, we should do something also because we enjoy organizing events, but we have to do something that is different. The first thing was New Stars of Data and that happened very shortly after the first canceled grill because we were like, hey, we just canceled, I'm going to say six weeks before the event, might have been a little more or less than that, but around. So we had our newcomer speakers, they basically were on track or some of them even done with their session for the newcomer track. And then we tell them, hey, we're not going to present this year because there's not going to be an event. We felt like, hey, we have to do something for them, but instead of just virtualizing the newcomer track, which was one quick idea that we, we're like, hey, let's make this a proper event. Let's also not make the assumption that everyone who was willing to give their first presentation in person is willing and interested in doing the same thing virtually because some simply are not. So this is how new stars of data, and, and um, we couldn't be um, happier than um, how these first editions have worked out. And then um, we were like, yeah, let, let's do also do something for the season speakers, but let's not do another um, spin-off of whatever you want to call it, something, something Saturdays or something, something Friday or something, something Wednesday. Um, let's do a different format. And we did data minutes last year. And the fun thing is m many people were um, quote unquote angry at us afterwards because what we anticipated was like, okay, we're going to have a lot of people coming and going and joining and leaving all the time during the day because they're only going to watch the sessions they care about. And there were people like, oh, I lost a full day because of you because I joined for that session and then I just stayed all day. So they were not really angry with us. Um, and also from a moderator perspective. I mean, obviously, there's not a single deep dive in there. You, you can't do a deep dive. In, but it, it just also gives you new impulses on, hey, that might be something for me to look into. And then speakers can either promote their blog posts or their videos or just books or point to whichever resources they feel are appropriate. Or even like, oh, by the way, I spoke um, on this in-depth at this and this event. You can find the recording here. Um, or just see if people are even... I mean, there's even topics that you can fit into a full 10 minutes, but those were rather the exception. So, yeah, and we're going to have the second iteration of that next Friday. And then last year, we also had Dataverse, which, similar to the uh, new stars of data, where the kind of only requirement for the speakers is that they must never have spoken at a larger event than a user group before, um, for Dataverse, the only requirement is that you represent some kind of diverse group. And we left it fairly open on what that means. And it was actually pretty easy because, of course, we had a bunch of white dudes submit. Um, 
and we had one field that was optional on session nice that said um why do you think um you represent a diverse group so it's not like we made you and it was a field only visible to us but you could describe it in any way you felt like and so we're not forcing you to out yourself so if you're like yeah um i'm i'm not at the point yet where i want to be public about um the why that that's completely cool um, it wasn't even necessary because we could basically just filter on who left that blank. And if you looked at the pictures, okay, um, you're probably not um, one of the people that qualify for the event anyway. So, yeah. And then that kind of brings up um, something that I hadn't really planned on discussing, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious. This is an event that both you and I think is extremely important due to the fact that we need more diverse speakers. Simple as that. But you got a number of submissions from people who clearly didn't get the memo, who didn't understand, and I can only assume don't appreciate the fact that we need diverse speakers. This is not a joke. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you deal with that kind of, of discussions and, and, and communication with speakers like that? It depends, um, to be honest. I think there is, and thankfully I think, or at least I hope that that's the majority of them, people who made an honest mistake because they didn't read. They just read, oh, sessionized data, I'm going to submit without reading um, the fine print. Just like we get submissions to the newcomer track and new stars of data by people um, whose bio starts with <laughs> is a regular presenter at SQL bits at pass summit at DPS at this and this and this, um, this and this speaker has been an MVP for the last, um, 217 years. So I'm like, okay, you just did not read what this event is about. Also, we get it for the newcomer track and people are, yeah, but I've never been to your event. Where I'm like, yeah, if you had read, um, that single paragraph, um, it would become very clear to you. And then it just depends on, on how people react to that. So, And most people are very apologetic about it. We have another uh, quote-unquote event on Sessionize, which is the New Stars of Data Speaker Improvement Library, where we asked seasoned speakers to just um, contribute a little bit of their knowledge on anything that might help new speakers um, to get on board. How do you write an abstract? How do you come up with session ideas? How do you record a session? How do you... Anything around that. We had like two or three submissions like getting started with Azure Data Studio. I'm like, yeah, you did not read the fun. But that person just honestly did not read what the event was about. Yes, it makes me remember their names for future reference. But they most probably did not, well, they most probably still meant well. Because if they had read it, they would have known that there is no chance um, they will get accepted. Um. For Dataverse, we get a submission by a one white dude um, that put into the um, why are you or why why should we um, um, accept you to be um, what makes you a diverse? I don't remember the exact wording, but um, which diverse um, peer group do you um, represent basically? And uh, he literally put in there something along the lines: I think your event needs more white dudes from the southern U.S. I'm like, okay, um, that makes me angry because that means you read what we're doing. You simply didn't care, um, and you even made a joke about that. Because 
I have a dream that we don't need Dataverse and new stars of data and all that anymore in the future because every single event will have, like for example, at Datacron, we, we don't have anything like a quote or anything, but we just get a very good set of diverse submissions. So by simply picking um, the best submissions that we get in there, we also end up with a rather diverse speaker set. And I want that for any other event out there. And I want every other event ideally to support new speakers um, in whichever way they see fit. And then we don't need specific events um, for that. I also am a realist, so I understand that it will be a couple of more iterations of those events until we may or may not get there. But yeah, to me, the difference is um, how are people approached? Are they, did they just make an honest mistake? Which is still stupid, but um, then again, people also don't read abstracts. And then afterwards, um, they will give session ratings like, yeah, speaker did not talk about this and this and this. And then you look at the session abstract and you're like, yeah, the abstract clearly says it will not talk about this and this and this. If you had not only read the session title, you would have known that I'm not going to cover that. Um, meh, whatever. But um, if it's someone not taking this serious and trying to make it all a joke, this, this is kind of what makes me angry in a way that this person will probably not speak at any of my other events again. Well, not again, but ever. No, and I mean, as, as I said, this, this is important stuff. You do not just make a joke out of this because it is not a joke to anyone who is not a white dude. Correct. And speaking of reading, the proliferation of online events. I mean, everybody and their cat jumped on the new event bandwagon. I, I kind of lost count when there was 14 one day or something like that. It, it's just hilarious in many ways. And as you said, we, we get to see the same session over and over and over and over again. The whole carpet bombing style of sending in abstracts, people don't read the the brief for the, the, the event. Would you say that this is due to the proliferation of, of online events? Or as an organizer, has this been an issue for all time as you've been, been in this? It, it's been an issue um, for all times. Um, so even before the pandemic, We've had people submit to the newcomer track where I'm like, you really know? Um, by no means are you even close to a new speaker. Of course, the issue became bigger and bigger with virtual because um, people that are too lazy to read, um, they are hard to convince to read if it's one or two events, um, especially events that they have to consider traveling to with everything being virtual. They, well, they can just... And that's... As great as it is, how easy Sessionize makes it for us to resubmit the same session over and over and over and over again. So I could submit, I could just go to Sessionize, search for data, um, click on the first 50 events and basically sub to submit to all of them and would take me 15 minutes tops um, to get all of these submissions in. Of course, I would have no idea what I just signed up for. So um, I may have just submitted to an event that is actually happening in person in North Korea. I hear North Korea is beautiful this time of year. Uh, exactly. Um, <laughs> send me a postcard. Let's leave it at that. Done. But yeah, um, people have been lazy before, and I'm pretty sure all the other events that focus on specific topics or something like that have the same issue. Like um, 
there's data toboggan, which only cares about um, sessions around Azure Synapse Analytics. Another way how you can specialize your event. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great event. I'm not going to be there and I'm not going to submit because I'm not doing anything around Synapse at this point. Um, but still, I mean, Synapse is a huge topic with a gazillion of great speakers and great subtopics to talk about. Amazing. I'm pretty sure the organizers of Data Toboken end up with um, just as many sessions that have nothing to do whatsoever with Synapse. There's Data Saturday Vienna happening um, later this month. It is only having German sessions this year. I'm pretty sure um, they got a ton of um, non-German submissions as well. Huh. So a bit of a curveball. Uh, we haven't discussed this before, but I, I just thought of it, and um, I'm, I'm curious to to hear your views on it. You've been in, as you said, the, the community for a while. You started working with SQL Server 6.5, which was 1996, 1997, thereabouts. I think SQL Server 7 came out in 98. I think 7 came out 80, 98 or 99, so... Um... Yeah. And... I'm I'm just going to go and assume that you've been part of the the community for quite some time as well not necessarily since 1998 but would you how would you characterize the the change in the community during the pandemic has it become easier to get into the community has it become easier to find information has it become more difficult um I'm sure it has changed but in your view how has it changed in so many ways, and in most ways, not for the better. Um, first of all, one might assume with all these extra events popping up, um, it would be so much easier um, also for new speakers to get to speak. But um, I see more the contrary is true because you just have that person that's like, hey, I'm going to speak at five e single events on a single day. And... Um, I did the same thing at the very beginning of the, well, not speaking at multiple events, but um, I spoke at a um, SQL Saturday in Australia, for example, where I would not have flown to. Um, but right. the organizer reached out. He was like, um, hey, um, so this is a little short notice, but we're just switching all that to virtual. Um, can you help us out there? And at that point, we were very new into the pandemic. At that point, I didn't expect it to take us as long as it already did. And um, who knows how long it's still going to take from here. Um, I stopped doing, I'm not submitting to virtual data set days and stuff anymore. I'm more than happy to be back to in-person data set days when um, I consider them to be safe. Let's see when that will be. Um, but for the time being, I, I will not submit to anything virtual with very, very few exceptions. Exceptions of that being if um, I'm speaking at SQL Bits in March. SQL Bits will be hybrid. If I'm at a point where I'm like, I don't think it will be safe for me to go there in person, I will sp still speak there virtually because, well, hey, it's equal bits. Same thing with the um, Pass Summit um, later last year, same thing with stuff like DPS, or smaller user groups that are like, um, hey, could you help us out on that topic because we're trying to grow our group or whatever. Um, those are kind of the exceptions and... Ooh, you may see me at another event that does not fit that description, but it will be outliers um, rather than anything else. So still not easier for new speakers. Um, 
also still not easier for um, those that are kind of the in-between. Hey, I, I gave my first couple of presentations, but I'm still not there that people are asking me um, to come to their um, event or to their user groups. So much more content out there than previously, because, for example, previously SQL Server Days traditionally were not recorded or anything because they were small in-person events. Now, um, all that content is out there doesn't necessarily make it easier because, um, well, too much content means also information overflow. So, yeah, still the biggest issue for me is, and again, speaking of all the benefits um, and privilege that I have, one of these benefits and privileges um, that I currently enjoy is being a data platform MVP, which means for most of the topics, if I really need to understand um, how something works or why something does not work, there's people I can ask um, within that um, community. There's people that um, I may either be close friends with or people that at least know um, and have heard of my name. I'm like, hey, I know you're an expert on this. Oh, let me shoot this your way. And that obviously also opens doors um, that may not be open for everybody. So my main purpose of going to events is to network and to meet um, old friends and new friends. Most events do a horrible job on the networking part. And even those that do a good job, um, uh, and speaking of virtual events, not in-person events, obviously. And even those that do a good job, like um, I really enjoyed the community zone at the past summit. Um, Forever, it is still not the same thing than hanging out with friends um, over a beer, um, hugging them to see them and talking with them about, um, yeah, about life in general, more about um, than, hey, have you seen this and this feature and this? And yes, at some point we will all geek out and talk about some tech stuff and so, but um, community is about way more than that, so. I, I'm Again, I totally agree. The, the hallway track, as it's often referred to, the, the meeting of people, the, the just open-ended discussions. Um, I, I generally tell my, my bosses that you don't hire me because I know everything. You hire me because I know everyone. And the only way that I can do that is through the community, being introduced, having this extended network of people that I can, as you said, either ask a question or do you know who I might ask about X? Uh, so yes, that that's something that I really really miss. the The community zone at Pass Summit was interesting, um, and it it kind of highlights another thing, and that is I've been a technical trainer for many 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 years, and I know that you do a lot of uh, training courses for Pluralsight, for instance. And for as long as I can remember, the way that training has been done is you lock three or well, you lock a lot of people in a room and you talk to them, not at them. Or technically you talk at them, you don't talk to them for three, four or five days. And then they stagger out and apparently they're, they're viewed as, as fully trained. Now, we kind of got the memo that mm, that doesn't really work. It's not the optimum way of training. And this was even before the pandemic. Then the pandemic came and we completely blew the whole argument, it can't be done out of the water. That is no longer the case. It can be done. But here's my question. This is a long 
circuitous route to the question. Just because we do one thing in person, we do a session, someone is standing up and talking in a session, do we necessarily need to do the exact same way when we shift to online? In many ways, I, I think that we just transplanted what works in person into the online world, and that has brought some interesting quirks. Um, so what are your views on when changing the whole speaking or training aspect of things to accommodate the online world? Tough question. Um, very tough question. Um, first of all, I agree that um, many of us have just replicated what they did in person to virtual. It did not, did not work out too well for um, all of them. I've also seen people starting to run and organize events um, that have never run another event before. And that also shows in the virtual world because, I'm, I mean, it, it, it's not rocket science. Yes, in the end, it kind of means um, you create a couple of Teams meetings um, and post them to a website and make people join that and ideally um, disable the lobby so it doesn't do bing, bing, bing all the time. Um, but there is a little more to it um, than that. And especially those events that are exclusively run by people that um, never did that before. Um, it shows also in the, at the same time, especially for nonprofit events, there's just limitations in what you can do because there's limitations in what the platform you have support. Um, like for, at this point, we use Teams for pretty much all we do for the um, data ground branded events. So new stars of data, data minutes, dataverse. Teams has its limitations towards professional conference platforms. And at the same time, um, the reason we're doing that is um, to stay within our budget, um, which is zero for many of these events. So um, we just run data minutes out of our own Teams tenant. Therefore, um, yeah, not having um, to have to have a budget and at the same time not running on a huge conference platform. What we need to... And that was also, and I think that has even gone down more and more over the course of that pandemic is interactivity. So at this point, you end up at events where attendees don't even bother to unmute anymore. Attendees don't even bother to switch on their cameras anymore, no matter how many times you tell them, hey, let's chat for... When I do an in-person session and um, basically the second the speaker before me is done, I get on stage... Just set up my laptop real quick, um, and then I start chatting with people about anything. Just because um, I want, I, I want to get a feel for the room, and that is something you cannot do. Because you cannot do that in a virtual. Con Sometimes people may unmute and tell them a little bit about themselves, but that's more the exception than the rule these days. And this is what makes it um, super hard and also less and less appealing to me again, especially at smaller conferences, um, because you don't know if people even care about what you... If I do a session um, where I lost all of the room because um, I may have just implied everybody knows about something, but they didn't, or I may have just explained a concept in a very horrible way, in person you can see if everyone's like rolling their eyes, if everyone's pulling out their phones, if everyone's walking out of the room, um, or even worse just start 
talking to their neighbor, completely ignoring me. In a virtual world, you can't do that. And that is kind Yes, there's ways of making virtual sessions um, more entertaining. And uh, like um, Rob Farley does this um, fun stuff where he starts drawing um, on his, I think it's a surface, um, and then stuff just um, appears around him because he's basically drawing in green and the surface thing is a green screen. Um, or he just uses um, this green as a whiteboard. And you can do all that stuff um, if you're confident enough to do that, if it fits um, the narrative of your session and the flow of your session, and if it fits um, the way you um, present in general. So how do I actually answer your question? Um, I see myself, well, I do some stuff different in my slides, for example, when I present virtually because um, animations don't work at all in a virtual world, so just kick them out completely because um, they only make things slower and goofier um, than anything else, unless it's something that's pre-recorded where people basically just get an MP4. Um, so... I think the key to better virtual presentations is getting more interactivity with your audience. And I haven't found a recipe um, to really get that working. No, and, and again, I, I totally agree. The funny thing is we tend to miss something pretty obvious as speakers because we, we are used to be able to control the room from where we stand. But we don't really think so much about what the audience actually brings to the table. Nobody has even thought about talking and, and setting a number of, of expectations on the audience. If you want to be an audience at this event, you are expected to be interactive, etc., etc. That is just unheard of. We as speakers are expected to basically turn the world on its head enable in, in order to enable us to do events but nobody actually talked to the audience and the audience hasn't changed in many ways they, they have become more blasé and as you say they don't really care i just look at my my um, user group when i have in-person events i perhaps had 50 signups and maybe 40 decided to come and that's fine i mean 20%, that, that's fine. I've had 70 people sign up for the virtual events and maybe five actually show up. It is so easy to just, nah, I want to watch Netflix or whatever. So it, it has to be give and take with the audience. And I, I, I feel kind of like we've forgotten about putting some expectations on the audience as well. The thing is, um, and well, the reason for that, in my opinion, is it is fairly easy to enforce these expectations on the speaker. It is basically impossible to enforce that um, on the attendees. So if I tell you, hey, if you want to speak at Data Grill, you have to submit your full slide deck using our PowerPoint template no later than four weeks before the event, and that's the rules. Um, we don't do any such thing, but um, let's just assume um, we did. That would be an enforceable rule. Um, and that rule only works out as long as I actually enforce it. So if you don't play by these rules, I would actually have to kick you out at four weeks minus one day before the event. 
Because mm. once people realize, yeah, okay, they tell, and there's tons of actual events out there that do a similar thing, and it is a very well-known secret that it's never been enforced, so nobody actually cares about it anymore. You can't really enforce it on the attendees. Because if you make it too hot, I mean, you could say, okay, there is a mandatory um, introduction of every attendee um, at the beginning of each session. Well, first of all, it would be a huge waste of time. Um, and second of all, you would just scare people away. If you have rules that you cannot enforce, it, it's same thing with a code of conduct. If you put something in your code of conduct at your event that you will not or cannot enforce, don't put it in there because otherwise the whole thing becomes worthless. So I get it that we don't put pressure on our attendees. Um, these are our expectations. We expect it to be interactive. At the same time, what does that even mean? Um, if you just did an amazing presentation and I really have no question because you answered them all, do I have to come up with an artificial question just to um, come across as interactive? Meh. But yeah, that, that's kind of, and I, I don't really understand when I come to a virtual session, um, kind of the first, but that might just be because I have that expectation the other way around as well. One of the first things I do is I turn on my camera and I actually um, unmute myself and start talking to people, which might come across as annoying or not, but at least there is some conversation going on. I think there is nothing worse than this awkward silence um, and even more so in a, which, because if you're at an in-person thing as a speaker, you can still pretend to doing some last minute tweaks to your demos or whatever in Georgia, even though you're just typing the same two buttons all the time um, on your keyboard. But um, on a virtual event, that awkward silence, not great. I agree that you can enforce it, but I would argue that that is not really the point. I don't want to enforce, I don't want to police people's behaviors, but I, what I want to do is create an expectation. This is what this event is about. We, we appreciate this. We are trying to achieve this. I haven't seen that at events at all. Some of it is in the, the um, code of conduct, sure. But again, that's the code of conduct. Break this and you're out. Uh, but having some kind of, of slightly fluffier, this is what this event is about. I don't know if it works. Um, and to be absolutely frank, this just popped into my head. Um, but it's something that I will be um, thinking about and exploring a bit, I think. It sounds tempting. But? And still my, and still my first response would be, hmm. Would it ever work? So um, no matter where, I, I mean, first of all, you're lucky if 10% of the people getting a ticket or signing up for your event even read about th that part. Even though they take that checkbox, I have read all your rules and your um, interactivity clause and whatever you want to call that. Uh, I'm pretty sure you could put into um, your page, um, by the way, if you're a no-show, we're going to charge you a $1,000 no-show fee and people would not read it and still agree to that. Um, that sounds like a literally million dollar business idea, by the way, literally, um, they could have made so much money over the last year. So it's going to be dollar grilling next time. Correct. Nice. They're just going to fire the grill burning dollar notes that we got from no show fees. It's 
called the Circle of Dollar Life. And I think on that bombshell, it is indeed time to end. Thank you so much, Ben. This has been a fantastic discussion. And as most of the time with our discussions, they kind of start out one direction, but then they have this tendency of going off track. Um, but I, we've, we've kind of stayed on topic with the, the community, and that was my, my intention. So thank you so much for coming on. Any last words before I hit the big button again? Thank you all very much. Um, thank you for having me. And um, I'll do something which I never do. Um, I'll get political in my closing statement. Let's see how that works out. Everyone out there, if you haven't yet, get vaccinated so we can get back to in-person events. There we go. What he said. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back in a week. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need in Tech. Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needypintech.com.